because the other thing is during the day he does a lot of burping and quite often you know a little bit will come up or sometimes not a little bit um and you know so he obviously does need that whole winding process but at night i can stand i am now doing five minutes of consistent winding and then sitting with him upright for another 15 in today's chat with Kess, we talk about winding babies how important it is, and how long we need to burp for. This week, Max is waking at around 3 or 4 a.m. and just not resettling, and so we look at how to cope with these early morning wakings. We chat about that much-spoken-about topic of poos, diapers, or nappies, what's normal and what's not. We also look at the subject of cot death and sleep safety. And finally, we talk about all the phases of dummy and pacifier use. So stay tuned for this one as we explore early health and sleep issues with Cass and her little one, Max. Welcome to Sense by Meg Fora, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Fora, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the Parent Sense app, and catch Meg here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back. I'm Meg Fora, and I am so excited to journey with moms and dads through the highs and lows of each week of parenting. And today we welcome back Cass and a look at the life of a nearly two-month-old. In fact, Max is eight weeks old yesterday, Cass, isn't he? Yes, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, he'll be two months. I think it's on Saturday, so yeah. Oh, my word, time yeah. has flown. It has, it has. Actually, a friend of mine visited a couple of weeks ago, and she said, something to me that I keep telling myself, but I thought it was a really good quote. She said, the days are long, but the years are short. And I think that is very much the case at the moment. The the days are long, but the months are short. (laughs) Yeah, it is so true. And you know, it's a funny thing because in the moment of a lot of your parenting conundrums, which you, I will tell you and you will know that there will be hundreds of them coming up yeah. in the, over the next 18 years. Um, you kind of wish the moments away, like especially you know, the two-year-olds where they're being so, you know, they're all over the place and they're throwing temper tantrums or the colicky period. I know that uh, Max didn't have colic, but the colicky period, you wish it away or the sleepless nights. But the conundrum of that is that every time you wish away those pieces, you're wishing away the parts that are also, you know, so amazing and the cuddliness and the, and the cuteness. So it mm. is, it's a conundrum in parenting. There's no doubt. Absolutely. Alex and I were going to bed the other day and I had the monitor up and I was looking at Max on the monitor and I said, Alex, I was like, oh, I just, it, my, I ache how much I love him. Mm. And then a few hours later, he woke up in the middle of the night <laughs> needing a feed and he was being really impatient. He wasn't being impatient. Yeah. He just was hungry and yeah. I needed to wash my hands. And I found myself going, oh, just wait. And I thought, <laughs> gosh, how I flipped <laughs> from being completely goggly-eyed oh, to just yeah. like, oh God, give me a minute. <laughs> I know. No, it is very, it's so true. Because in those painful moments, it can be really painful. So yeah. have you had any painful moments this week or have you had any exciting and happy moments that you want to share? 
I mean, that we've definitely, he is so smiley now. He, we're so lucky. He's a, so he is a joy. But I have to say, at the moment, the nights are, uh, the early hours, or I should say, more so than the nights, are a bit of a challenge. And I say this all with a massive caveat that I bumped into a friend of mine the other day, and he was blown away by how well Max was sleeping at night because they, their little one woke every 90 minutes for the first three months at night. And so I was sort of thinking that we were having a bit of a rough time. (laughs) And I thought, oh, so I do feel awful when I say things aren't great, but it's different. Max was doing absolutely fantastically at night and he still does for the first part. But there's a couple of things... And it's, you know, I think we were speaking a couple of weeks ago about how much information there is out there and how often it conflicts with other bits that you read. So, for example, one of the things I was thinking, which is the right way to go is, okay. so one of the amusing slash not amusing in any way moments of the week was Max didn't do a poo for two days, which is apparently very normal with breastfed babies. It is. But on months he didn't the whole weekend when daddy was at home he didn't be and then monday morning almost as soon as daddy walked out the door it was an explosion oh my god i had to take photos i was so blown away by what he'd been capable of (laughs) but i wiped i went with one wipe and i thought this is just point this isn't going to do anything so i just put him in the bath and sprayed him with the handheld shower gosh that is funny because it was just everywhere but that meant that he and he's also now he's not um, pooing at night which is quite nice because it means that I'm not dealing with that in the dark at night and that sort of thing but I then I'm not really sure because I've read in places if they don't have a dirty nappy don't change it because you wake them up too much at night and you know you want to keep it all very calm and that sort of thing but he often falls asleep on the first boob when I go in to feed him or will go very drowsy. And then I'll go to burp him, which is another area of questioning I have. Then he sort of falls asleep on my shoulder while I'm burping him. So quite often I'll change his nappy after the first boob. He'll wake up and I he'll do a decent feed on the second boob. Yes. But as I say, I've read quite a few places that if they don't have a dirty nappy, it's just wet. Don't change it. Don't yeah. change it. And I just don't know, should, but I'm worried if I don't change it, he's not going to get that extra bit of feed that he seems to be wanting when I wake him. Yeah. So to answer that question, just first of all, what time is that first feed of the night generally? Mm, Between 12 and 1. Okay. All right. And then he does another one at about 3 or 4. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. So in that situation, and does he go down quite happily after that midnight feed? He does, yeah. Okay. Then I would change the nappy in exactly the re- for exactly the reason that you are doing it, which is that you're rousing him sufficiently to get that other side in nicely. We specifically recommend not to change nappies or put diapers at night with babies who don't settle immediately after the feed. So if he was okay. like unsettled after the feed and just not settling nicely, then it can be that he's been too roused by the, the change of the nappy. And that'll often happen with our more sensitive and slow to warm up babies where he's a settled baby. So he probably hasn't even noticed that there's been a nappy change. So, or that it was dirty in the first place. So my suggestion is to other mums is, if your baby's nappy has not been pooed in or soiled and they're not settling straight after a feed, then don't change it. But in the event that it's not soiled and they are settling quite happily after a feed, there's nothing wrong with using it as that cue to wake them up a little bit more and rouse them up a bit so that they can actually do that second side. So okay. my, my suggestion as usual is that your gut is actually correct. 
Yeah. Okay. Because I just, because what he's not doing. And so maybe I don't change him after the three or four feed. Doesn't we are then. now in yeah. a bit of a nightmare stage where from yeah. three o'clock he is just not settling. And this takes yeah. me on to the winding question because the other thing is during the day he does a lot of burping and quite often you know a little bit will come up or sometimes not a little bit you know so he obviously does need that whole winding process but at night I can stand I am now doing five minutes of consistent winding and then sitting with him upright for another 15 to make sure that everything because are you doing that at the three o'clock four o'clock feed and uh, all the time because I, he's not burping and when yeah. I'm putting him down, he's now waking uh, quite quickly afterwards and he just doesn't seem to be settling from yeah. particularly three o'clock. But the night before it was at one, it was the one o'clock and he's there. He's not crying, but he's just sounding frustrated and his knees are going up and he's kind of going. <clears throat> yeah. and, then, and then if you lift him up, does he do a big burp? No. And that's yes. a strange thing. Yeah. I mean, last night, Alex and I were taking it in turns where we were going through because he was not settling. He was making these noises and he just wasn't interested in going to sleep. And it sounded like he was really frustrated. And we'd had that the night before, but that was, that was poo gate the night before. So I, and then he did this massive poo. So I thought, okay, he was uncomfortable because he was trying to, but now he's done it the second night. So I'm not really sure how to get the winding done because he just, as soon as you put him on the shoulder, he's like, oh, I'm settled and happy now. Falls asleep. And then, yeah. 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 So I've always had a principle of no more than five minutes for winding ever, day or night. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that we know that babies, I mean, and they've done scans that have shown this, that after five minutes, the wind has actually moved through by and large and it's going to come out as a fart. Okay. And very often what happens is that we kind of sit there jiggling and burping and, and they actually gulp air while we're doing that. And then they make a big burp and we think, oh, that was the burp that we've been waiting for all along. But actually it wasn't. It was the burp that they've created while they've been sitting there waiting for it to come up. And mm-hmm. so my, the rule of thumb is only five minutes of burping. And then after that, they go down. If he's then niggly, so I've got two things to say about the niggly thing. Sometimes it's just as much as just picking him up. So you, you put him down after five minutes. He then five minutes later starts with his ifing and butting and pulling up his legs. Pick him up and do one little burp and see whether or not it'll come up again then. And in the situation that it doesn't come up again, settle him back down again. Because the other reason why they, and probably the more likely reason why he's having this niggly patch is that babies of eight weeks classically have one niggly patch in 24 hours. And for most babies, for nine out of 10 babies, it happens between five and eight in the evening. But you do get the babies that happens in the early hours of the morning. And in actual fact, my third child had that as well. So I would find Mm -hmm. myself pacing with her at that time. It's just a niggly time. Babies, almost all babies have a period in 24 hours where they classically, that becomes their little prickly patch. And it's possible that his is that early hours of the morning because he's not prickly at any other time of day, really, is he? Not not in the evening. No, I mean, he, we are trying to work out when and how to feed him in the evening. So that's more us trying to get that right for him because we're mm-hmm. trying to... So I think we spoke last week, oh, now I'm feeding him when he does seem really hungry at about five and then we're doing bath and that sort Good. of thing. And then, I mean, last night... I fed him at five. He went for a bath at half five, I think, half five-ish. And then he did a bottle and he, honestly, he drank about 160 mils after doing a feed. And so then I was worried 
Well, then, first of all, fool that I am, I thought, oh my God, she's going to sleep forever because he's had so much food. No, he did not. But I thought then when he was really niggly in the early hours of the morning, I thought, oh my gosh, is it because he had just too much in the night? But from what you're saying, no, it's no, probably... it's just that niggly patch. And, you know, a couple of things around that niggly patch. One is to listen. You don't have to respond because they'll often will actually sort themselves. The second thing is to actually just go in and put your hands on him and pat him and kind of stroke his forehead and soothe him that way lying down. And then as I've mentioned, I think this is the third time I mentioned that Zeki or that heavy little product that you can put on him as well also helps him to stay in a bit of a deeper state of sleep. So you can try all of those. Also, you know that you don't, I wouldn't change the nappy for that feed. Definitely not. So I would do one side and if he's too sleepy to take in the second side, he's going to wake up for a feed at six anyway. And then you're Mm. going to give him the the second side. And that's what resets your day between five and six. You'll, you'll have your, a full feed that he'll, that will then reset his day. But I think, you know, I know it's not helpful to moms to hear this, but this does pass. Mm. Typically at your height of of a of the irritable patch is six weeks. And then each week from six weeks to 12 weeks, it just diminishes, diminishes, diminishes. So I think you will find that that early hours of the morning will actually settle down. Yeah, because what I so what he does love if we give in, which invariably we do, is going on to daddy's chest. Because by the time by this time we're probably I'm certainly really tired. And at about 5 a.m he goes on to Alex's chest and he will then, I mean, he will sleep for three hours if he could like that. And I sort of, in my head, I keep saying, I know they can't form habits right now, but he will just sleep forever if he can. And so then last night I started thinking, does he just want to be on the chest? And so he's not going down because he knows it's the time (laughs) that we'll give in. No, he's definitely not manipulating you. Babies of that age can't do that. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by ParentSense, your parenting app. As an avid user, I can safely say that ParentSense is the all-in-one baby development app that helps mums and dads keep track of their baby's routines and really takes the guesswork out of parenting in the first year of a baby's life. May, tell us what makes ParentSense so special. So ParentSense is my love child. I developed it because I felt that parents needed a little manual in their pockets, and that's what it is. It gives parents routines for their baby's day. They're flexible routines for sleep and for feeding. And then it also gives them a play activity for every single day, 365 for the first year of life, as well as recipes and meal plans. So it really, unlike most other apps, it covers absolutely every aspect of early parenting. There, you heard it straight from the expert. Download ParentSense app now from your app store. Sign up for a lifetime subscription on the website, parentsense.app, and take 50% off when you use the discount code parentpod at checkout. Take advantage of this incredible offer. It's exclusive to podcast listeners. Download the app now and take the guesswork out of parenting. I mean, actually, interestingly, I always say, and this goes for all the way through into the toddler years, that anything after 4 a.m., you break all the rules. And the reason for that is that usually babies who sleep pretty well at night, which, by the way, one night waking, which is what you're getting, Mm. one and a half, two, you've kind of got another one at three, but between one and two night wakings for an eight-week-old is typical anyway. That's totally normal. Mm. So he's sleeping well. So to break the rules at that time in the morning is is probably exactly what I would say do. I wouldn't worry about that at all. The only thing, and I think it's worth talking about this because we haven't discussed it on a previous podcast, is around sleep safety. 
it is very important to mention what sleep safety looks like. It's one of our contentious parenting topics. And depending on which country you are in, you will have different advice. So if you were in America, the American Association of Pediatrics is very specific about no co-sleeping, no babies in the bed at all. And um, in fact, they, I mean, they believe that co-sleeping is a massive risk. Now, what we know about SIDS, which is otherwise known as COT deaths, sudden infant death syndrome, is that there are specific risk factors that increase the baby's chance of having a COT death. And obviously a COT death is absolutely everybody's worst nightmare. Mm. One of them, and the biggest one, is tummy sleeping, which is why when mm. the American Association of Pediatrics brought in the Back to Sleep campaign at the end of the last century, towards the end of the 1900s, that was the biggest single impact on SIDS, on SIDS rates completely because that dropped off dramatically. But obviously the research keeps going and they've looked into do dummies impact on SIDS? Do, you know, what else, what else are the risk factors? And your big risk factors are, co the next big risk factor is co-sleeping. Now, when you look at the actual research, the co-sleeping that they're talking about is co-sleeping on couches. So that's kind of falling asleep when you weren't intending to fall asleep with a baby right. on you and specifically in the context of alcohol and drugs. So, you know, that kind of situation where you've, maybe a parent has had two glasses of wine, falls asleep on the couch at two o'clock in the morning because they were dead tired pacing the floor with the baby and then actually smothers the baby. And that that's your biggest risk factor. Yeah. But having said that, American Association of Pediatrics has ruled out co-sleeping as a possibility entirely. In Britain and the UK, it's slightly different because you do have different theories on it. Like, for instance, there's a very big argument to be made or this research that has been, is put forward that says co-sleeping increases attachment and increases breastfeeding rates, which it does, definitely does increase breastfeeding rates. But there's also an argument that it increases attachment. Now, when you look at the science behind those particular articles, they're not entirely true. And um, there's very interesting research that's actually been put out around that where it doesn't impact um, attachment. So that for that reason, I wouldn't be advocating co-sleeping for attachment reasons. Co-sleeping, most parents do for convenience reasons, which is exactly mm -hmm. what you're doing. That's that's pretty much why parents do it. So if you are going to co-sleep, and even if it's five o'clock in the morning, you would need to do it very safely. And safe co-sleeping means the baby has their own space. They're not actually on your chest. So they've got their own sleep space in between the two of you with no duvets near them, with no pillows near their head. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a very clinical sleep space even mm. though it's with you. And this lasts all the way through until a year of age, although the risk of SIDS decreases substantially as you get close to a year. So I guess in terms of the habits, it's not a major thing with, with him having that little uh, cuddle time in the morning. In terms of the sleep risks and the sleep safety risks, you know, you would have to make sure that Alex was actually pretty much awake, which is, which is always difficult to guarantee that at that hour of the morning. Yeah, I mean, he, Alex actually props himself up on pillow, so he's not lying down. He's put up, and he goes on his phone so that he doesn't fall asleep. But That's the great. other, the other thing is he of course, hasn't been awake all night. Yes, well, <laughs> well, you'll remember that in, I think, our second episode, I spoke about yeah. splitting up. And in, in terms of you split up your nights, you, you do you do till five, four or five, and anything after that is his responsibility. And if it means that he's got him on his chest so he can get a few more hours, then that's fine. Or, uh, but I think it's good that Alex isn't actually falling asleep then. Yeah, no, I mean, we're both terrified of that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but I think, you know, I mean, sometimes we can lie there just two of us chatting and, you know, because we've woken up and Max is still absolutely zonko. And, and I suppose really what I didn't 
what I was worried about was, was that because he was so uncomfortable when we put him down on his back. But as, uh, so all of those things were contributing to me wondering if it's because I'm not winding properly at night yeah. because he's falling asleep. But no, I think he's going in for the sensory and that's, you know, very often the sensory, whether it has been carried in a sling, being pushed in a pram, being given a little massage, swaddling, all of those things are things that we use for that unsettled patch. And so what he's using for that unsettled patch is, is human engagement and loves and cuddles, yeah. I think. Yeah, he is. He is. But no, yeah, I mean, that's been the kind of the challenging bit that, and then as I say, funny, but not so funny poo moment. It was the first time we'd had one of those. I was actually speaking to my friend the other day and I showed her a picture and she was like, is that your first one? We've had loads <laughs> yes. of those. Those explosive poos. So those actually, and it was interesting what you said at the beginning, um, you know, it's true that breastfed babies can do seven poos in a day or one poo in seven days. I mean, mm. and that's that's how completely opposite ends of the continuum a poo routine can be for babies. What's interesting is because he's such a highly regulated baby, which is a good thing, he actually has ended up already stopping poos at night. And mm. it's one of the things, your, your hormones actually dictate that and start to you know limit the amount of poo that you do in the middle of the night. And when he reaches about two or three years old, it'll do the same for his urine production at night. So then he'll sleep through without needing a nappy anymore. Okay, because actually, well, I mean, it's not a question from me, but the same friend messaged today because her little one is the same age as Max had slept from nine until 6.45 in the morning. Wow, that's good. But had woken up with a dry nappy. Mm, That's very interesting. That's highly, highly unusual. So your hormone that actually turns off um, your urine production shouldn't be... Um, turning off urine production at that age. It's very unusual. You know, you do want to make sure that you're having nine wet nappies in 24 hours, you know, seven to nine wet nappies in 24 hours. So, you know, I would, I would wonder whether or not he, you know, look, he did sleep well, which he wouldn't be if he was dehydrated. But yeah, you, you don't want babies switching off their urine at this age. It's not no. normal. No, I mean, uh, and, and interestingly, I was talking to her yesterday and she, I said, you know, you, you've got these amazing nights. And she said, I'd almost rather have um, amazing days because that's when I'm awake with with her. And so she has trickier days with her little one, but, but with these amazing nights. So, and then I have these wonderful days with Max and still very good nights, but yeah. at the moment they don't, they don't feel so good when you're sort yeah. of up, feeling like you're up constantly from one or three yeah, in the morning. But sure. it is, it is the nights I think you become a bit, I found as a mum, I become a little bit obsessive about the nights. <laughs> sort of, how do I do it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think the nights, I mean, in terms of sleep norms, what happens between birth and 17 weeks is that you, you end up moving that one night feed out later and later. So it was at 10, it becomes 11, mm. it becomes 12. Now yours is between 12 and 1. And they increasingly take that through to the morning. And then you can imagine if you're having that night feed at two, then the next feed is five. So that means you're on to one night feed. And that's actually what the typical baby does. On the on the each end of the continuum, you've got the baby, like your friend's baby, who's actually sleeping basically from nine until six, which is sleeping through the night, essentially. So she's doing that very long stretch. And then you've got other ones who on the other end of the continuum are still waking up at 10, 11, mm-hmm. one, you know, it's, and going through all the way through the night. So Max is actually slap bang and where what we expect for this age, 
What then usually happens is at 17 weeks, we have what has now been termed the 17 week sleep progression that everybody yeah. dreads. I am um, it. <laughs> yeah. And it just does happen. They start to wake, you know, instead of stretching till two or three, which he'll be doing probably by then, he'll wake up at 12 or maybe even 11. And it feels like hell because like you're just getting them in the right direction and they go backwards. And so when we talk about that, there can be two possible reasons for that sleep progression, which we'll go into in much more detail when we get there. The one yeah. is nutrition and the other one is self-soothing. And then the next stage comes about, and particularly for those who actually start to um, piece it together between four months and six months, they become quite good sleepers. And then at six months, they then sleep through for eight to 10 hours at night. And that would be going down kind of at six in the evening and waking at four for your first feed. And that will eventually by eight months disappear altogether. So that's the mm-hmm. way that these, these sleeps move or the progression that babies take through sleeps. Mm. No, it, it, I mean, it is amazing how your body does adjust and how little sleep I am actually surviving on because it's broken. I, you know, I, 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 the other night he did a seven hour, I think it was last week. I, oh no, actually it was, had he done it yet? The day of the vaccinations, the day after he did a seven hour stretch. That, okay, night. that was the night we last spoke then. Yeah. So it was the night. In fact, I nearly messaged you in the morning because I woke up after four or five hours and I was, I was sitting there counting 11, 12, one, <laughs> like trying to work out, oh my God, is he actually doing this long? I don't understand. That's and then amazing. of course I couldn't get back to sleep because I was so excited. So I missed out on, <laughs> on the long stretch, but I'd had four and a half hours. And I said to Alex the next morning, I actually haven't had four and a half hours yeah. of a solid period of sleep since he was born. And it suddenly hit me how amazing our bodies are that, you know, before, if I hadn't had that for seven, eight weeks, I would have, I think I'd have just KO'd. I wouldn't have been able to go. But you just keep going now and everything adjusts. It's It's amazing. Yeah, no, you certainly do. Although, I mean, it is torture. I, I, for me, I think that's why I ended up working as a sleep therapist because, you know, for babies, because for me, it was utter torture. You know, I could mm-hmm. not bear it. And with my firstborn, I did have to do some quite serious sleep training by about seven months because we had managed to get ourselves into a 45 minute wake up for the dummy. We call it dummy patrol. And, uh, you know, every 45 minutes he'd wake up for his dummy and that was hell. So I, I know like that sleep deprivation is absolutely nothing like it. It's, it really is awful. Yeah, I'm quite glad. I don't know how we've done it, but actually Max only has the dummy in the day. He doesn't need the dummy at night, which great. I don't know how I've done that. I would yeah. love to know. I, well, I haven't done thing. Max has done it, but yeah. he, he just doesn't need a dummy at night. So because initially we were on dummy patrol yeah. and somehow he's managed to change that to self-soothe. And, and so now he only has a dummy when he's going to sleep in the day. That's great. No, that's really excellent. Yeah. Look, I think the dummy is such a debate, you know, I think, and, and, you know, I always get asked about dummies. Should we use them? How do we get rid of them? What age they need to be got rid of? And, you know, I think each age band, there's advice around dummies. For the first 12 weeks, I do like dummies because specifically during the day, like you say, because little ones are classically a little bit more niggly. Mm. You might actually find Cass, if you use um, a dummy during his niggly patch after 3 a.m., yeah. that he might resettle. It might be worth putting that into place. Yeah, I might try it. Because that's that's where dummies really useful. And then between four and seven months of age, dummies classically are, we go into what's called dummy patrol, where at varying levels, you are required to put the dummy in because babies need them and they can't do them independently. 
And then seven to eight months, you can actually teach little ones to use the dummy on their own, which changes mm. everything because then yeah. they'll just find the dummy. And I always say to moms, once we've taught them how to, and I'll help you with that if we get there at that age. But w- w- once you've taught them, you kind of throw five dummies in the cot and just pray they find one. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the strategy there. And then going into the toddler years, there's two principles around, around dummies. The one is that they actually shouldn't have dummies Um, while they're walking around as soon as they're walking. And the reason for that is not so much that it looks ugly or it's unhygienic or anything else. It's actually just for language reasons that once little ones are walking, they need to learn to talk. And so if they've got their dummy in their mouth, it does impact on language. We know that less kind of language explosion, but also when they do start to speak, they lateralize the sounds on the side of their mouth around the dummy. And so it can cause a little bit of a speech impediment in some ways. And so dummies then only become for sleep. And then you can get rid of a dummy between three and four years old because it's that age, there's a story you can tell and you can take the, you know, the, the, the monkeys. The dummy fairy. I mean, exactly. Exactly. We had, we had hyenas that stole the dummies. So because <laughs> we'd been, we'd actually been in the African bushveld and we'd had been, had our house surrounded by hyenas one night when James was oh, two wow. and a half and they make a hell of a noise at yeah. night. And so every night he'd go to bed and he'd go, where are the hyenas? And he called them the myhenas. Where are the myhenas? Where are the myhenas? And, and they were just making such a racket. And eventually on about the third night, I, I said, you know what? We're going to get rid of the dummy. We're just going to tell him that the myhenas took them. <laughs> and he bought and into it. I said, you know, those myhena babies were crying so much. We had to give the myhena mommies the dummy for the myhena babies. So <laughs> that was so sweet. So those are the kind of different stages with dummies and pacifiers that babies go through. Well, if he goes again between from three, I'm definitely um, I will try and avoid. I won't worry too much about the winding, and we'll try and just pat him and put the the weighted toy on his tummy. And then possibly if it still continues, try yeah. the dummy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is worth trying at that time because those niggly patches for other moms, they might be between, be between five and eight for you. And also for my third, you know, it's those kind of three to five in the morning. It's very common that they just have one patch that just is their niggle patch. Yeah. Well, hopefully, as I tell myself, when I'm having a really good day and then it doesn't, or a good night and it doesn't last, I'd say, okay. This that was a phase, but so is the bad time. <laughs> That's <laughs> just a phase. <laughs> well, I love that out. you say that because it is how you have to frame early motherhood. That you know everything is there just for a period of time. Even the gorgeous stuff is there only mm. for a period of time, but certainly the the bad stuff passes. Yeah, Cass, thank you so much. As always, thank awesome you. to chat. Thank you very much, and we will chat again next week. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Meg. Thanks, Cass. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.